Hey everyone, welcome to There Goes My Brain Again. My name is Louis Lasser IV, but my friends call me Lou. I'm an author and bartender from Long Island, and I'll be sharing the audiobooks from my novels, short stories, and articles, which I'll be reading, as well as sprinkling in some podcast episodes as things evolve. It's taken a long time for me to start this because I've honestly just been too nervous. So, onward I go, following my heart, which is led by my wandering brain, leaping before I look. I appreciate you very much for listening, and I'm curious to hear any feedback you might have, so I stand before you by sitting at my writing desk, waiting to be judged, hoping that the collective verdict finds this experience fun. The first episode will be the first two chapters of my novella, Maple Dorm Trinket Supposedly Dreams in Rainbows, Indigo and Lollipop. So, without further delay, let's begin. Maple Dorm Trinket Supposedly Dreams in Rainbows, a very short story by Louis Lasser IV, published by Daydreaming at Midnight. Copyright 2023 by Louis Lasser IV, and read by the author. All rights reserved, although when no one is looking, some rights say whatever they damn well please. Ultimately, it is the desire, not the desired, that we love. Frederick Wilhelm Nietzsche. Forward, backward, up, and down. Maple Dorm Trinket, supposedly dreams and rainbows, is a larger-than-life story. This is not as grandiose an introduction as it appears because Maple Dorham was, quote, the smallest man in America. For him, everything was larger than life. Note, the officials who had the authority to bestow such a moniker thought it quite a bit of fun to exclude all capital letters from his title. Nevertheless, Maple Dorham wore the golden thimble gallantly until the 1st of January 1932. For reasons to be explained in this account, his reign was, as it were, cut short. He welcomed his sudden estrangement from the circus of royalty. This is because Maple Dorham was in love with desire. The only crowns he was interested in wearing belonged on his teeth. Chapter 1. Indigo. No one ever made a difference by being like everyone else. P.T. Barnum. New Year's Day, 1900. Walnut, Indiana. Maple Dorm Trinket was born at sunset under the shell of a circus tent, specifically under the indigo triangle of the rainbow big top. The other colors of the spectrum were present both under the canopy and in the watercolor sky above it. Since the indigo triangle had a small tear in the fabric, Maple Dorm realized the possibility that there may be a loose seam in the heavens as well. Even as a newborn, he had perspective. He quickly learned just how small one's life can feel in the shadow of the infinite and this was only the tenth of it. His mother was a sideshow performer, standing at six inches tall, six and a half inches with heels. Her stage name was the diminutive damsel in distress. Her act involved being tied to the tracks of a model train set. For the first 25 years of his life, she and Maple Dorham traveled the thunderous railways across the continental United States in paths of slow lightning bolts. By this time, Maple Dorham had grown to the identical stature as his mother, although he never wore heels. But he did have an act of his own. It was modeled after the final scene of the silent film Safety Last. In the scene, the headlining actor, Harold Lloyd, scales a tall building 
which culminates in a gymnastic and hysteric effort to resist gravity's desire. He grasps onto the hands of a large clock, possibly to save himself, or possibly to turn back to the time before he made this attempt. In Maple Dorham's act, his little fingers latch onto the hands of a pocket watch. All Hallows' Eve, 1925, Noble, Oklahoma. On the eve of November, the diminutive damsel met her final distress, dying of an acute heart attack while bound to the tracks. Maple Dorham watched her last scene in despair as she stopped struggling to loosen the ties that bound her to the planet. He imagined her soul ascending to heights unseen, slipping through an indigo seam in the circus tent that surrounds our reality and veils us from the ideas of new colors and enlightened ways of seeing. Maple Dorham asked one of the lion tamers to dig him a grave. He asked the snake charmer for one of her jewelry boxes. She brought him a long box with a necklace inside. The string had broken years ago and she hadn't had the time to repair it. So he buried his mother, still in her costume and tied in slipknots, on a bed of unstrung pink beads, rounded by centuries of tidal changes on the banks of the Nile River. When the circus boarded their train, heading to another town dusted by desperation, he stayed behind, ready to find a tear in his own linen sky perhaps lined with silver, or at least, silverware. Maple Dorham was already hungry. The locomotive rumbled west, and he set his sights to the east. In the wake of the wind swirling from the end of the caboose, one of the show's posters spun in a tempest before landing on the ground in front of him. It read, P.T. Barnum's Greatest Show on Earth, presenting the phantasmic phenomena of the phonetically fantastic and baffling biology of the bizarre, featuring the diminutive damsel in distress, pineapple head boy, cavity patty, clutter fingers, topsy curvy, the smallest man in America, do re mi, the three-headed songstress, flicker licking Lilith, the fire breather, saber Sadie, the sword swallower, Cleo Snatra, the snake charmer, and blind palm readings with the majestic and mystic Miss Missy Mississippi. Your curiosity commences Thursday, September 22nd. Maple Dorham left the trail of his sandy footprints over it, each the size of the poster's smallest font, on his way to the shimmering beacon of opportunity, New York City. He'd had enough of the sideshow business anyway. He had aspirations of his own. He wanted to be an oral surgeon. Chapter 2. Lollipop. I haven't been out of work since the day I took my pants off. Sally Rand. New Year's Eve, 1925, Lower East Side, Manhattan. Once Maple Dorham was on his own and without the protection of those who knew him best, meaning the ones who knew to watch where they stepped, he felt his true size for the first time. He was kicked, booted, high-heeled, and Mary jane around for months. The bruisings wore off, but the mental hematoma was beginning to shade his optimism. Perhaps indigo was not his color after all. Finding a proper dental education proved to be difficult. The universities didn't know how to deal with him. When he would climb up the wall to the registrar's window, he'd be met with gasps before being ushered out. On his last effort, at least the registrar spoke to him. She stuttered nervously, I don't think it's polite to just walk in here like that. This is a university, for goodness sake. Then she skittered off and crouched behind a filing cabinet with the hope that he would just leave. But Maple Dorham was going to make sure he was heard this time. He crawled under the separation glass and politely, yet sternly, asserted his aspirations to the registrar. 
He told of his days in the circus and of his mother's passing. The registrar's head emerged next to the drawer labeled P to Q. But Mapledorum noticed that she'd been covering her ears. So he yelled at the top of his pomegranate seed sides. <laughs> I can't read that. So he yelled at the top of his pomegranate seed sized lungs, I want to be an oral surgeon. I want to contribute to science and the medical profession. And I want to learn about my rare condition. I want to uplift humanity in the same way I lift up myself. Raising his small index finger, he punctuated his comments with frustration. I've had it up to here with you people. The registrar, unfortunately, yet understandably, started laughing herself into a wheezing frenzy. Oh, so funny that was for you. You think I haven't already heard it all? Mapledorm scaled the coat rack next to her desk in a fit of rage. He gripped his way to the top, battling through silk scarves and raincoats using buttonholes and lapels for leverage. When he reached the summit, he looked down at the registrar with triumph and defiance. He watched her rise to the level of the A to B drawer, then pull herself up using the top of the filing cabinet. Now the two climbers were nearly at the same eye level. Maple Dorham didn't really know what to expect, but he was surprised to see that she was wearing the same look as one of the circus audience members. She was in awe. When she asked Maple Dorham how he would like to make his deposit payment, he told her it would take about a year to lug it all in. She said it had to be paid that day by 5 o'clock p.m., as it was the last day of registration. Mapledorm hung his head low, slid down the sleeve of a blue parka, and landed on her desk. He kicked a pencil out of frustration and broke his big toe. Even with the swelling, it was still very little. The registrar wished him well and hoped she'd see him return next semester. Mapledorm hadn't considered the feats of logistical prowess he would have had to plan for, to carry rolled-up bills and silver dollars from his temporary quarters in Washington Square Park, especially after a hard day's work, would have proven to be a strongman's task. But after witnessing the efforts of his fellow circus performers, he knew how to use his legs and save his back. Of course, it didn't matter at this point, he still had to land a job. So Mapledorum carried on without having to bear the weight of modernistic expenses. He decided to appeal directly to practicing dentists. He boasted about his potential to be a very detailed hygienist, to closely assess abscesses, and his ability to reach into the mouth of a patient and extract a root firsthand, and if it was stubborn, a second hand. He had, in the past, with much success, done this for his fellow freaks of nature while they traveled from one town to the next. Alas, no one was willing to take him on as an apprentice. They didn't want their practice to become part of a sideshow either. Mapledorm pursued other jobs and landed a few, inching closer to his goal of financial stability, or at least, financial predictability. He worked as a fruit fly exterminator, a piano tuner, and a dollhouse interior decorator. He also had a short stint, pardon the expression, as a mechanic. But one day, when he climbed into the engine to change a spark plug, someone turned the keys and stepped on the gas. It was the scariest and oiliest moment of his life. Then he dreamed of becoming the owner of his own company, albeit a company of one. It would specialize in dusting and sanitizing all the hard-to-reach areas. He marketed his services in inventive ways. He made business cards by cutting stamps in half and gluing his information to the front. Then he'd place them under appliances in restaurant kitchens, and on the inside of violins at concert halls, or under the typewriter keys in a newspaper office. His business card read, You missed a spot. 
Mapledorm Trinket, proprietor. The obvious trouble was that no one could find the energetic entrepreneur when they wanted to hire him. Mapledorm's business was swept clean and under the rug. So he dropped his little mop and picked up the telephone with the help of a friend, naturally. He answered a newsprint ad in a Manhattan publication and successfully landed a position as a private eye. He proved to be an asset, with his stakeout locations winding up in places never thought to be possible from the vantage of the naked eye. From the first time he heard his boss use it, Maple Dorham enjoyed the term, the naked eye. He'd mutter to himself on his commute, pretending to be a character on a radio show. Sir, you've been caught by Mr. Trinket, the private eye with a keen naked eye. Or, when Maple Dorham is in town, you better not be caught with your pants down. He will privately eye your naked lie. Or, Mr. Trinket, the naked private eye with plenty of places to hide. Despite the fact that his eyelids only had to blink over the surface area of a peppercorn, his vision was superior to those tall enough to ride roller coasters. This came without shock, as they had been since birth, but he lacked the physical power to press the shutter on the camera without audible grunts. Subsequently, he was discovered by one of his targets, and then he was let go by his boss. At the same time, his comfortable underground lodging in Washington Square Park was being compromised by an influx of new construction. Then, when Maple Dorham was again pondering the phrase, the naked eye, had a moment akin to the one Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. He looked at himself in the reflection of a discarded milk bottle and saw that he was, indeed, unclothed. Except for a few sprinkles of body hair, he was bare. His berries were not buried and his twig lacked a leaf to act as a sheath. He was rudely nude. Looking back, he realized that not wearing clothes may have been the chief hindrance regarding his efforts to be educated and employed. The circus had been far more accepting of the birthday suit dress code. And on second thought, maybe that explains some of the success of his circus act, adding to the fulfilled curiosity of the attendees. So in his walk toward a home that would soon no longer exist, he set out to find new lodgings and some pants. But first, he needed a weapon. And in that moment, something landed in front of him like a miracle wrapped in pink paper. It was a lollipop. Thanks again for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like this post, share it with someone, or leave a comment. And if you haven't already, please consider subscribing for free to There Goes My Brain Again on Substack, and you'll be notified when the next episode is released. If you want to learn more about me, please go to my website at lewislasserthefourth.com. That's L-O-U-I-S-L-A-S-S-E-R-I-V.com. There you'll find my bookshop, social links, and more. Until next time, be kind to yourself because you're one of a kind and kind enough to others just because. See you later.